0: Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a pair of pastor scholars study a scripture passage drawn from the Revised Common Lectionary. We hope it'll be enjoyable and edifying for all, and especially equipping for pastors or teachers who are preparing sermons or lessons in the upcoming weeks. I'm your host John Drury I'm a discipleship pastor for Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion Indiana and my guest this week is Ken Shank Ken is no stranger to the show he's been on many times uh, he's an excellent new testament scholar a specialist in the epistle to the hebrews and he actually has a new book coming out if it's not out yet it will be out soon you may even be able to pre-order it it's with cascade you could find it on amazon or all the other booksellers uh, it's called explanatory notes on the book of hebrews if you search Ken Shank S-C-H-E-N-C-K, and uh, explanatory notes, Hebrews, you'll find it very fast for either pre-order or purchase. Um, so I'm excited about that. I just wanted to promote that, although we're not talking about Hebrews today, although it comes up at one point when we're just making a comparison statement. But uh, today we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. If you're enjoying the show today, just press the share button on your podcast player app and pass this show on to others so they can enjoy it as well. And if you'd like to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash fresh and find ways you can support us there. Thanks for listening and enjoy this conversation with Ken. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Would you be willing to read in translation of your choice? Now
1: let me try to do it from Greek. Yeah. I actually have, I, I found this physical thing they call a book. It's very unusual.
0: <laughs> hey, it's all I got out spread out here. Got my synopsis out here and a couple translations and good times. The KJV, the Ken James. <laughs> KSV, Ken version. There it is. <laughs> Messed it up. KSV. All right, go for it.
1: Okay, Chapter Five. And having seen the crowd seen the crowds, he went up onto the mountain, and having him having sat, they came to him, that is his disciples, and, having opened his mouth, he was teaching them, saying, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of the skies. Blessed are the ones who mourn because uh, they will uh, be comforted. Blessed are the meek, because they themselves will inherit the land." Blessed are the ones who are hungering and thirsting righteousness because they themselves will be filled. Blessed are the merciful because they themselves will uh, find mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart because they themselves will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called the sons of God and daughters. Blessed are the ones who have been persecuted because of righteousness because theirs is the kingdom of the skies. And you are blessed whenever they reproach and persecute and say every evil thing against you falsely uh, because of me. Rejoice and be glad because your reward is much in the skies. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord.
0: Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, your word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who opened his mouth and spoke these words, uh, sitting on the mountain, uh, teaching his disciples. And so as we hear these words of blessing, may we uh, have our minds and hearts opened to receive what it is he's saying, to, to see what it is your son sees in the world in a way that we often can't see. So open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts, and do your work among us for Ken and I and all those listening in, that we may, in our own way, turn and open our mouths to encourage others. We ask this all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so what do you notice here? What jumps out at you as you read this famous passage afresh?
1: Well, a favorite, you know, a favorite, of course. Um, I suppose what stood out to me as I was reading it is the consistent emphasis of they. You don't need it in Greek. And yet uh, every beatitude has, well, most of them have an unnecessary they. I, I kind of threw in a themse- they themselves. That's not really a good translation if you say, but because they, you know, will be comforted because they will inherit the earth. So the the emphatic they that is grammatically unnecessary, it's it's purely for emphasis, I would say.
0: Every single one has one except for the first and last, which is a theirs is a right. it's like a genitive, right? Yeah. So that that one's more necessary in terms of grammar, but it does mean that all what is it, ten or twelve? One, two, ten. three, four 10, but all 10, well, it depends what you do with the the last one, which switches style to a U, plural, that every single one kind of adds this emphasis on who it is. Is that implying a contrast? Like it's them, not somebody else. Is that what's going on there? It's a
1: contrastive kind of thing. In other words, um, those who are well-fed, you know, Luke has the opposite, right? Uh, Woe to you, rich. Blessed are the poor and woe to you, rich now. So Matthew doesn't have the contrast.
0: He has woes somewhere else, but right. he, he's got woes in
1: what, chapter 11, I think
0: it is. But, okay. Oh, and in 23 as well, right.
1: So it, it does say, those. it implies that those who are doing pretty well right now, you know, they're not the ones who are going to be comforted. The ones who, who are not crying now, they're not the ones who are going to be comforted. So I, I do think there's a little bit of a, a contrastive implication there.
0: Yeah, I mean, each, every one, you can kind of see it, right? Although you need the grammar for it, it is in verse three. It is put in first position. Theirs is the kingdom yep.
1: of so the skies, right? Same function, yeah. yeah. By the way, you can't get this from English. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> you better <laughs> right, study be Greek you you just you take it from some commentary. Yeah, yeah. So it's
0: theirs in first position, highlighting that the kingdom belongs to them the poor in spirit, unlike what you might expect, rich, rich in spirit or what have you. Yeah. That Those who mourn will in fact be comforted, right? One by one, the meek, they're the ones who are going to inherit the land. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I don't know if I ever noticed that because you, again, in English, you just, you need a pronoun there. Whereas the pronoun can be implied by the verb. And so it's, it's easy to miss. No, that's really good. Uh, You mentioned Luke. We'll definitely get into some comparative stuff eventually, but I, I don't want to rush there too quickly. Is there any significance to, and whether it's tied to that or not, I, I was thinking a little bit about the, the opening, the little narrative in verses one and two, the way the setting is setting up here that he's speaking to his disciples. Well, I guess I will mention the contrast.
1: Sermon on the Plain in Luke.
0: Yeah, with Luke, because in in Luke, I mean, it's, I guess it's similar, but I mean, in Matthew goes, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them.
1: Now, I, of course, would not be alone in thinking there is a implied echo of Moses and Mount Sinai that um, uh, Jesus is giving the new, new law, as it were, the new covenant. Um, Jesus is the new Moses, Moses 2.0. Yeah, all those birth
0: stories that, you know, we just were looking at a few weeks ago in the church year.
1: Herod, Pharaoh.
0: Yeah, that sets that expectation up quite a bit. And so then the mountain kind of resembles Mount Sinai, right? Yeah. So what's the significance then of, I mean, not to say that this replaces the, as he's going to be quite clear, he's not replacing anything he's fulfilling. But it it seems to me that if the opening 10 words from the mountain would be the… Thou shalt, what's what's the significance of kind of privileging these blessings as these kind of opening words? What's the significance
1: of that, you think? So I would say it's honor-shame language. Uh, I was in a Bible study once years ago, and whoever was leading it said, so what does this word blessed mean? And I think the consensus of all the Americans in the room was, it means happy. And there was a person from Africa in the room who said, I think maybe it has to do with honor, a place of privilege. And, and the, the Americans in the room said, nah, that's not it. And not being one that likes conflict, I know that's hard for people to believe. I, I really don't like uh, conflict. I just cause it. Um, it just happens. I don't intend it. But um, I was sitting there thinking, yep, Bruce Molina, slam dunk. It's, this is honor, shame language. It's not about being happy. That's a typical Western misinterpretation of ancient psychology, in my opinion. You know, so it's basically setting up a counter, a countercultural uh, value system or a a countercultural honor uh, system. The world thinks that honor is found in money, is found in superficial happiness, is found in power, uh, is found in being one to hold judgment over others, you know, but Jesus says um, that the place of honor goes to the poor in spirit in Matthew. Place of honor goes to the meek. Place of honor goes to the merciful. Place of honor goes to the persecuted. Now, I didn't see that one coming. So it's a counter a counter honor system that Jesus uh, sets up here. At least that's the way I take it. What do you think? Well, then
0: the setting really matters, right? I mean, they're in Galilee. They're out on a mountain. So that means they're not in the in the city. They're not in Capernaum. They're kind of out on the edges. And just in the previous couple verses, you've got people coming to him from all over the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the job. I mean, it's like quite a gathering actually here of those who are sick and diseased and demon possessed, paralytics, and he's healing them. That's the scene that immediately proceeds at the end of chapter four. These chapter breaks sometimes are unhelpful in that regard. So he's he's dealing with these folks on the margins, those who would bear be those who bear shame or dishonor, uh, curse to use a contrast with blessing. So he's kind of going around saying, "Actually, you're the blessed ones." Now that that raises interpretive sort of troubles because in some of these blessings, it sounds like you're blessed precisely in this condition, and then others of them, it seems like the blessing is, "Well, you're blessed because you're going to be." Removed from this <laughs> uh, circumstance, that, that that's a and that's become a, a a sort of interpretive in the history of the interpretation of beatitudes. That's a constant back and forth. Are these virtues to be emulated? Which then you have to kind of some of them you have to twist to make them work. If you think of them as a list of virtues, but if you just take them as pure circumstance that's to be removed, then it's pretty much just the oppressor becomes the oppressed again, and you're not really it's not really a counter a countercultural ethos either. Probably the mistake is trying to make them all fit one of the, it's probably that there's some variety here within the list. But what, what, what do you think about that? I saw you grinning as I was saying that, but.
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, if you're crying now, you don't feel very, very blessed, but you're, you know, you're blessed because you know you're going to be comforted. So I do see a kind of proleptic dynamic here. Yours is the kingdom of heavens. Which isn't fully here yet.
0: But then pure in heart, peacemakers, you know, those aren't exactly passing circumstance. It's not right. like, sure. well, pretend to make peace for a while because then, then <laughs> you're going to make
1: war later. Yeah,
0: That's not exactly <laughs> what I mean. It could be. You could take it that way. But and actually it's possible. And maybe this is a good segue to our second segment and a break would be it could be that actually the interpreting of these words was already a matter of discussion and clarification even before they got written down, right? And that that made even account for some of the (laughs) differences between Matthew and Luke, that these were things that Jesus said and people didn't immediately understand them, which would make sense. We have a pattern of that. That doesn't just apply to his to his parables. All all of his speech has a certain radical character because he is speaking for and from and toward this new kingdom, that intersects in a weird way with the world that we're in. And so his language has a way of not always landing in our ears in a straightforward
1: manner, you know? Yeah. I'm an, I'm an old guy. So I, I tend to uh, still believe that there was some sort of a saying source behind Matthew, Matthew and Luke. And so I do think that Matthew has, has uh, shaped the Beatitudes for his audience in an inspired way. And I believe that Luke has shaped the Beatitudes for his audience in an inspired way, which is, I think, what you were kind of suggesting that there was an or that this existed at least at the very least orally um, before it made its way into uh, Matthew and Luke's gospel and took on, you know, kind of more specific contours uh, that fit what God was doing through each of them. Is that kind of part of what you're saying?
0: Yeah. So, yeah, I have no question that the inspiration does not merely apply in the moment that a word is spoken. It's the whole process of it being handed down, written down, and that there could be sources. And so there is some differences that are – sometimes when we ourselves have sort of interpretive questions, it's actually, for me, very consoling to know, oh, that some of these interpretive questions were already – in the mix as these things were being composed and handed down, you know what I mean? And so maybe completely resolving them is not the primary task, right? Handing them on is perhaps the primary task and offering possibilities and exploring options and what that stirs in us and teaches us today.
1: Yeah. And again, maybe I'm going my own shanky direction, but you know, anybody who knows me knows that I'm not one of those the message haters. There are some people like the message is not a it can't count it's not it's horrible you know how dare Eugene Peterson kind of paraphrase but my my sense as a scholar is that the New Testament paraphrases the Old Testament in inspired ways all the all the time um, and that that in fact if we if we are following Scripture alone then uh, those kinds of paraphrastic interpretive uh, translations as it were are exactly what the Bible models. You know, so the idea that that God would inspire uh, Matthew to message version Jesus one way for Matthew's audience uh, and that um, the Holy Spirit would uh, inspire Luke to message Jesus uh, toward a Lucan uh, audience fits exactly with what I see the New Testament doing with the Old Testament. And that's not what you're not exactly what you're saying. But um, here,
0: here. Yeah, I'm with you on it, though. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break and explore some more. When we're back. Welcome back to Fresh text. I'm here with my guest Ken Shank and we are looking at Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12, the introduction to the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and the first little bit, which is these famous Beatitudes. So we were talking a little bit before about how, okay, Matthew's shaping this material. there, there seems to be some preceding material, however that's handed, written, or, what, what have you. At the very least, Jesus, uh, direct from the source. Either way, it's coming into the form that it's in. And Luke has a sermon on the plain, although I've been there to Galilee in the the historic site where they say it took place. And it's kind of great. If you look one way, it's a mountain. And if you look the other way, it's a plain. So it's like it's, it's that's one particular discrepancy I find uninteresting because it's like, ah. yeah, that's called. Yeah, it's a plain up on the top of a mountain, right? No, no big deal. Right. Easy peasy. Um, so this so as a side note, but. In terms of the words, Luke has four of these blessing statements, whereas Matthew has 10. And it's interesting to me that the four that Luke has would all fit the, the circumstance reading of the Beatitudes. This is a tough situation you're in, but it's not permanent, right? So here's, here's Luke, blessed are you, and they're all in the you, blessed are you who are poor Well, it's blessed are the poor because you, yours to you, belongs the kingdom of God. And then blessed are those who hunger now. So it's just hunger because you will be satisfied. You will be filled. Blessed are you that weep now for you shall laugh. A slight twist there, laugh, but that's not totally contradictory um, from comforted. And then blessed are you when men hate you and yada, yada, all the persecution language. That's not identical, but very similar to the last one. So, but even you know, all four of those are very much circumstance, right? You're poor, you're hungry, you're weeping, you're persecuted.
1: By the way, at some point I want to note the plural, like even in Matthew 5, 11, uh it's blessed are y'all. Yes. Again, we're going we're gonna to go individualistic naturally as Western individualists. I'm blessed. I'm Ken. I'm blessed. How are you? You know, where it's a, it's a more of a corporate, but anyway, just want to stick that in before I forgot. No, I'm
0: so glad that you did. And it's relevant then to this because he's sort of, he's speaking to an audience of people as a community, perhaps constituting a new kind of Israel Allah, you know, there at the mountain foot of the mountain, pronouncing these blessings. And, If all you had was the Luke conversion, you would, you would just immediately think these are just awful circumstances, but don't worry. He even uses words like now, right? And they're almost all into the future, but in the future, it's going to go better. So then if we isolate just the ones that Matthew selects and includes that Luke doesn't now, whether Luke is focusing attention and taking things out or Matthew is expanding, I mean, we do know one thing for sure is that Matthew collects into one place teachings that are often separated in Luke. So the question is not whether Jesus also said these other things. He probably did. He just might have said them at another time. And kind of Matthew's like, I'm going to put all the beatitudes in one place. And it's very interesting because if you just do the ones that he includes, a lot of them are more virtues than or practices than circumstance right? So blessed are the meek, depending on how you take that. But if you take that as a way of being in the world, meekness, which is listed as a fruit of the spirit over in Paul in Galatians, right? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Again, that's not a circumstance. That's a virtue or a practice, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, right? Not a circumstance. Um, Blessed are the peacemakers. That's a practice or a virtue. But then the rest are the same ones, right? Just sort of expanded
1: and Even with poor, he he spiritualizes, the. it's not, I mean, Luke is talking. And hunger and thirst,
0: hunger and and thirst for righteousness.
1: Luke, it's just the hungry. Yeah. For for Luke, he's talking about the literal poor, the literal hungry. Matthew spiritualizes it, the poor in spirit, um, you know, who have an attitude of dependence, you know, as you said. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So both his edits to those two, as well as his expansions kind of press into these I think, and I don't think he's, you don't, it's not mutually exclusive. Although Luke is clearly focused on, right? And it, and it fits because he's going to also do these woes. Woe to you as the one who are causing these circumstances in other people, right? Whereas Matthew kind of is laser focused on his own sort of insiders, as it were, right? Here's, you know, this is a way of being the world. Yes. And he's not ignoring the circumstances because those are included. He doesn't, he doesn't airbrush them all out there are poor who are poor in spirit, right? (laughs) So he's not saying, I don't care about the poor, you know, there, there's still this concern, but I think you're right. When you said earlier that this is honor shame language designed to set up. And what was it? An alternative or a kind of a counterculture values of what's to be honored
1: or even who, who is to be honored, maybe even, Mm
0: -hmm. but also a sort of implicit invitation to, okay, there's a way of, there's a way of living and thinking and interacting with one another, that is what it looks like to be a part of this new community, this counter value system. I don't know how does that strike you? Does that seem right to what I'm? What Matt? like he's already prepping for the kind of teaching that's going to come yeah. later in the chapter, right? When you think of all the antitheses that come yeah. later, of you've heard it said, I say to you, there, that's already starting here in a way.
1: He's changing the 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 lens of um, how you look at the the world. You know, like you just said it. You know, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery but i say don't even don't even think about it you know you uh, later on uh, don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to how you're going to be clothed well good grief that's the only thing i worry about all the time because god'll take take care of you it's just a topsy turvy sermon in so many ways it seems to me don't pray in public so that people will compliment you on how spiritual you are what what
0: I can't That's walk. my favorite. I,
1: I, I love that. You know, I love, I, I wait. In fact, I, I deliberately give to the widows when other people are walking by, you know, you're telling me I can't do that. I mean, so the, the topsy-turviness of the sermon to me fits hand in glove with the topsy-turviness of what's blessed.
0: Yeah. I mean, even the 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 last of the six uh, kind of antitheses, you've heard it said, I say to you in later in this chapter, the last one is on enemies and speaks of being merciful which is then already sort of foreshadowed in the blessed are the merciful, right? Because you will be shown mercy. Don't take out your revenge.
1: It, this is just one of the high, I mean, all of scripture is inspired, but I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is so profound, uh, so incredibly profound. I wish some Christians would read it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How's that whole Sermon on the Mount thing going? You know, like you just kind of want to, <laughs> it's a that good was, thing to ask just, occasionally. That
1: was just for Jesus. You know, it was a three-year thing.
0: Well, I mean, and there sometimes are some wild interpretations of the Sermon on the Mount as, oh, this is just this, just to show the interim high ethic. bar of the law, yeah. Or what's that? Say more about that interim ethic.
1: Uh, I think wasn't it uh, Schweitzer Albert Schweitzer said this was this was just uh, because Jesus thought the kingdom was coming, you know, and he was wrong, you know, uh, and but so it was just it was just a kind of a short term thing that it obviously didn't work, you know.
0: You can't build a society with these values, you know, although what I'm hearing you say is at least in terms of the intention of these words, they are spoken with clear emphasized plurals indicating that in fact, he is at least the intention is the establishment of a social, yeah, right. A community with different values, not because a lot of times we'll say, well, maybe you as an individual might, you know live this kind of higher life maybe you could be a monk and you could follow this these are the councils of perfection or something like that but they're certainly not binding on all christians because you couldn't run a society like this i mean this is pretty standard way of of receiving and even a lot of us when we would never preach it explicitly that way that's kind of how a lot of us run our lives like you don't really actually live this it wouldn't you couldn't build a society this way could you you know
1: matthew matthew of course is after the resurrection uh, and, and the crucifixion. So, Matthew, Matthew's not writing it as, wasn't this great stuff that Jesus said? We had a good run there for three years when Jesus was here. I mean, that's not, Matthew's writing for people, I would say, in the 70s, you know, and the very writing of the Gospel of Matthew implies its ongoing character, in my my opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean, even his decision to try to collect a lot of sayings into larger blocks of Of teaching, I mean, again, Luke has a sermon on the plane, but it's much briefer. So this lengthy material from chapter five to seven is and forefronted in his book really early in the book. I mean, just that decision alone is saying a lot. It's saying, "Here, behold, here is your teacher. Listen."
1: Well, was it B. W. Bacon that that's coming out of my my subconscious who suggested that Matthew had grouped the teaching material into five large? sermons to mirror the five books of the Pentateuch, uh, again, playing on the um, the Moses 2.0 idea.
0: Yeah, so this is the first one. What's, this, what's the next one then?
1: The next one is the mission discourse in Matthew 10, okay. and then the, the parable discourse in Matthew 13, the forgiveness discourse in Matthew 18, and then the uh, eschatological discourse in 24 and 25, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, 24… Starting with, I think, some woes in twenty three, right? But uh, yeah, so it, it they're all th- and sounds like they're thematically kind of organized, right? He kind of puts all the parables in one place. And
1: if I remember correctly, most most Matthew scholars reject that suggestion, but it's always made sense to me. I don't know what I'm missing.
0: What's rejected the 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 five books of Moses part not the not the collection because the collection is just there on the f- on the face of it. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. These are clearly. Large blocks of material that are spread out in Luke, right?
1: I think probably it's it's uh, the idea that these are are structural is rejected, which I, I don't agree. I, I agree. I agree that the, that Matthew has not structured his gospel in five parts. Um, I agree with that. So maybe again, I'm sorry. This is an arcane debate. No,
0: I love it. This is great. No, this is this is perfect because we'll we'll do a couple of weeks here on the Sermon of the Mount. So I want to get some of these introductory insights out of the way. Not out of the way, but kind of on the table, on the front end. So the notion that it doesn't necessarily give structure to the whole book, you, that's contestable. But the notion that there's five
1: I think everybody kind of large that.
0: collections, that's not debated much anymore, right?
1: Yeah. And in New Testament survey, yeah, this is probably sh- too deep for New Testament survey. I used to say that Matthew took the Gospel of Mark. Added a front and an end, and then uh, got a crane in and okay, lower that down in here, Lord. Five big sermons uh, into uh, into the Gospel of Mark, and that's how Matthew's structured or was built, not how it's structured, but how how it was constructed.
0: Built. Walk me through that difference: built versus structured.
1: Well, the literary the surface. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm not even a Matthew. Structure. I love this. I so love the, this. The, the surface, the literary structure of Matthew. I think David Bauer divides it into three parts: hook words or Thematic verses that he would hinge at three parts of Matthew. I'm perfectly fine with that, and Doctor Bauer, woe is me if I question the master. So, in terms of literary structure, I don't think that the five uh, sermons structure the literary structure of Matthew. But I think when when Matthew was when Matthew was building Matthew, he had these Lego pieces in front of him. He had Mark. He had birth stuff. He had resurrection stuff. And he had these five groupings of uh, sermonic material from a saying source, maybe even an Aramaic Matthew.
0: Yeah, and and tons of that material is found in that in the big in the journey to Jerusalem in Luke, right? A lot of these little pieces. Yeah. Right.
1: I mean, I I I side with those those who see Luke as probably. I mean, there's a I have a commentary on Q. I'm sorry, some people are like, oh gag me, but um, I love uh, it. The the order of things in Q, I suspect. Luke probably gives us the more scattered ordering of things in Q and Matthew has taken them and gathered them into five large blocks of sermon material. That's my pet pet theory as a Hebrew's person who dares speak anything of the gospels.
0: Well, it's it's uh I mean it's just it's a question of which is more plausible that uh that Luke came along and took uh, yeah. five chunks of thematically organized material and said, let's spread this around like the parable of the sower, right?
1: <laughs> Personal, uh, I was yeah. privileged to be at a conference in England where Martin Hengel was there, if you've ever heard of him. And I don't know what, I mean, he was a very serious man. He comes over, this is at lunch and he come, or supper, and he comes over to the table, not to talk to me, but to talk to the people I'm sitting around. And he says, I don't know, what do you think? I can't see Luke taking a hammer and smashing the Sermon on the Mount, you know, into all the. And of course, I'm, I'm coming, not sounding very German. But anyway, you know, this idea that, I mean, to me, this, this um, what's his name? Mark um, at Duke, Mark Goodacre, this to me blows him out of the water. This one little data piece, he thinks that, that Luke simply is using Matthew as a source. Why in the world would Luke say, I don't like these beautiful sermons? Let's break them apart into a thousand little pieces and scatter them throughout the gospel of Luke makes no sense whatsoever to me anyway. Yeah, it doesn't to
0: me either, but of course you're my teacher. So my biases have been shaped from early on, but (laughs) no, no, I think it's great. I I appreciate, I wanted to get some of these, these uh, building blocks kind of on the table so that we can kind of understand how this, and in in a way that means just to kind of tie it up before we take our next break that Whatever Matthew's up to, he has these large blocks of teaching material from Jesus, these five sermons, as it were. And this is the first one, and it's long. Yep. And it's not only the first one, but then the Beatitudes are the opening moment. Yeah. Right? Yep. So these can be taken as a kind of opening, right? I've, yep. We've had other things.
1: Absolutely.
0: You know, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. We've had one-liners that accompany some of his his baptism, we've had his temptation. He's spoken. These aren't Jesus' first words in that sense, but these are our first extended preaching from Jesus. And what does he think the first thing to say is it's these words of blessing. And I think there is significance in that. Matthew does want us to privilege these 10 words, this
1: decalogue, right? From Jesus. And we, we thinking types, we want to get, give me, give me the argument. Give me the logic. But there's an affective and social, I'm not, what's a better word for it? There's there's a a worship, a blessing. It's a blessing. This this is, it reminds me a little of Hebrews 1, where Hebrews 1 says, has this repeated, Christ greater than the angels. I, I want to hear, hallelujah, I want to hear, uh, sometimes I put it to Star Wars music. In many and various ways, Christ in the past has dun, 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 he is greater than the angels, you know. It's, and the Beatitudes almost to me begin the Sermon on the Mount in a similar kind of. Da-da-da-da, blessed are you and you, you know, and, and then it goes into the rest of the sermon,
0: you know, after that. But it sets the tone with an overture, right? It's the overture to the teaching of Jesus, to use that, that language of the symphony, right? It's this grand fanfare. Blessed, blessed, blessed. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and explore some sermon starters. Okay. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. Got my guest Ken Shank here, and we are looking at Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve, the famous Beatitudes that introduce the Sermon on the Mount. So I had one little thought for exploring sermon starters. I'll never forget when. Someone pointed out to me or kind of invited me to kind of really visualize. I'm such a words person, so I'm focused. And as you already said, like, oh, we're thought guys. We want to talk about what's the argument here, but there's no real argument. It's just being pronounced. It's just being declared. And so what does it look like? And I'll read it afresh, but invite our listeners. And maybe this is kind of where I think a sermon starter might really come to just picture to so picture the scene, right? Starting, I think, with the end of chapter 4. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick. So visualize people who are sick. Those afflicted with various diseases and pains, picture them. Demoniacs, picture them. Epileptics, picture them. Paralytics, picture them. And he's healing them. So he's already healing them, putting his hands on them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. So seeing Jesus now up on the mountain. And then he sat down and his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and taught them saying, and then just kind of picturing each of these realities among his disciples, which includes these great crowds. And he's just blessing them kind of, He's enacting this. He's not just teaching it. He's not just explaining blessing. He's saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You can almost picture someone mourning there in the space, maybe looking, and he points at a woman who's in mourning clothes who lost a, a husband. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of the heavens. Blessed are you, when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you just kind of visualizing that not just the words, but the there's an action he's, he is pronouncing. It's not just Moses in a way on the, the mountain teaching. It is that, but it's also Aaron, you know, speaking the blessing from in front of the temple in in numbers right he is in some ways declaring that this is already the case this is the real value system of god but he's also in some ways making it true by saying it you see me as an authority i just healed these diseases i'm i'm now establishing you as blessed whatever authority i have you now are legit you have this honor and i wonder what sermon starter might emerge for us if we start to kind of picture ourselves in that crowd, kind of watching Jesus enact this blessing, I don't know what stirs in you as we, as I, I know I just read the passage with my own little comment. I did my own little midrash or, or paraphrase there, but.
1: Well, the tone you've just sent is much, much better than the thoughts I had. I mean, the thoughts, thoughts I have are, how would you structure the presentation to, to a congregation a 10 point. Well, let's
0: go there. There, There's the 10, there's the tone, but then the flow, the structure. How do you get
1: there? A 10 point sermon is probably too much. Um, maybe if you're at a camp meeting, <laughs> um, but, uh, or you could do, you could do five one Sunday and, and five, five the next. Um, I could imagine someone doing a 10 part series. And then to get back to your tone, each week you pronounced the blessing over your congregation on that beatitude. So in week one, Blessed are those of you who are poor in spirit, because yours is the kingdom of the heavens, and then you spend the rest of the sermon. and if I, if I pick up where you're where you were insinuating, some of you in this congregation are hungry. Well, I don't know. very few of our congregations are hungry. I would say if you if you go to the restaurants in town after church, but um, to pronounce the blessing to those who are struggling and a call to those who are not honored at the moment, those of you who are not peacemakers you're not blessed this morning <laughs> um those of you who are not merciful you're not blessed this morning in fact there's an implicit cursing on you this morning uh because you're not a peacemaker you're not pure in heart i mean i mean i'm not i don't i don't like the the calling judgment down on on your congregation i kind of grew up with that tone in some of the preaching uh, i grew up around i'm not real fond of it but there there there's clearly a call a call to re Reassess your your values and your your practices in these beatitudes. So I don't. That's not probably where you would have taken it, but um, I can see myself doing a ten a ten part series, uh, lingering on each one of them each week. Blessed are you who mourn. Uh, at any given time in a in a fair sized congregation, there are going to be people who are mourning. Certainly, the call to be a peacemaker, uh, a mercy maker. Tie into other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, you know, turning the other cheek, you know, one of the, that's one of the most probably. And the number one thing, well, that doesn't work in the Sermon on the Mount probably would be the turning the other cheek. And if the government makes you pay $10,000, give them 20,000, you know, um, that probably doesn't. Yeah, that'll go
0: over well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're right. It just I think there's a way of, if it's got to be explained, I agree that 10 points is too much. But if it can be felt and kind of, you know, explored, there is something about the 10. I mean, we you, you and I grew up with the top 10 list from Letterman, right? And I, it just dawned on me as I was hearing you comment, thinking about different ways to structure that there is a – I mentioned that kind of – that interpretive problem earlier of kind of the circumstantial versus the the virtue. Like these virtues are conditions. I don't know if those are the right words, but – and it actually does kind of break up really nicely. It just dawned on me. The first four are more circumstantial, even though he adds in, you, you know, you could mention, of course, Matthew expands so that it's not just literal poverty only, but those who are poor in spirit, but that's still somewhat circumstantial. It's your situation in life, you know, and hungering and thirst for righteousness is still circumstantial. That means justice has not been done for you. You know you're in a situation of injustice and you wish things to be made right so you could kind of maybe focus on the the fact that hey you're already blessed because you know god takes your side when you're on the underside of history and then to shift then because there is then a shift in seven to ten or seven to nine at least to really and here's some ways of being in the world you know, whatever your circumstance. And then it kind of zooms it out a little bit. And then you can kind of end with the persecution bit, which is really a third. So the persecution is saying you are virtuous and you have a bad circumstance, not just randomly. You're not just kind of randomly poor because you're unlucky, right? No, you're being attacked because of righteousness. And the second one is because of me, Jesus, right? So some of you, it may be that your circumstances is burdensome precisely because you're making the right choice. You know, maybe you lost your job because you refused to do certain things, you know, that were being asked of you because you were being asked to take advantage of people for the sake of the, the advancement of your, your institution. And you just couldn't take it anymore. And you do kind of feel persecuted because of that. There's a special blessing for you, you know, because I think there is a way to in a sermon to kind of say, not everything I'm going to say today applies to every single person in the room. But each of you might connect with something here. You can do that in a way that's annoying so that everyone has a, an escape pod and gets off the hook. But I think there could be, again, I'm not trying to turn it into three points. It's clearly a three ten. sermons. There, or there would be three sermons there, right? Cause I think the, the, the Beatitudes do break up uh, yeah. a little bit into chunks if you wanted to. I, it's more obvious when you've got a synopsis in front of you and see. Where the Lucan material drops and where the matthian unique material kicks in, the structure is like super obvious that he's. It's verses seven through ten are the ones that are kind of the inserted ones, so they it fits that they're a little different.
1: Yeah, and that's. I mean, I did, we didn't mention it, but I mean, that's I've always conceptualized the Sermon on the Mount as three beatitudes and then hunger and thirst after righteousness, three beatitudes and then uh, persecuted, and then there's the two. Uh, they're at um in verse eleven, or am I am I counting them right?
0: Well eleven and twelve switches cause it switches to a you. Yeah. And the rejoice and be glad. Well you're right, 'cause cause both hunger and thirst for righteousness parallels. Blessed are you when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Right? Yeah. So there is a there is a clear parallel there. Yeah. No, that's good. That's helpful. Yeah, I mean anything. To kind of manage the kind of overwhelmingness of having like ten things to say,
1: yeah. But I mean, uh, you could totally. Uh, I mean, you could you could be creative uh, since if we're if we're going to say that the beatitudes are less logical and more affective, more worshipful or congregational, uh, or however you want to put it,
0: formational,
1: formational. <laughs> uh, I mean, you, you could you let the drama team of your church, if you have one, or you know just uh, ask some people do some sort of skits and, or, or, uh, ways to visualize each, each particular beatitude. So you're showing, not telling.
0: And selecting songs that go with them and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. No, I mean, to me, the beatitudes, if you just turn it into dry bones and talk it through it, it's going to be a snoozer, right? (laughs) Sometimes that's great and needs explained and such, but. This passage invites a little bit more creativity and a whole service shaped around the Beatitudes with song, with reading.
1: Going off to other passages that are relevant.
0: Yes. Uh, Woven throughout the whole, as opposed to an extended single, stand there and talk. This passage invites that style more than some do. I agree with that. Yeah.
1: The, The porn spirit has always intrigued me. I mean, I think it's quite common to say there are very few truly poor people in uh in the american church and i could see that being a matter of some on a global
0: scale yeah. you know if you were to comparatively globally yeah. yeah
1: let's call let's call your typical american congregation a relatively wealthy congregation at least comparatively like like you said i'm sure that there are some you know privileged individuals who don't know what to do with their wealth i mean like i I'm good at money. I'm I'm not speaking myself. I'm putting words into their mouth. <laughs> I'm very bad with money. But anyway, um, let's say that there's someone in a church who I've never known what to do with myself because I naturally duplicate. <laughs> and so what does it mean to be poor in spirit? I, what I'm trying to get at is I I I would love to hear a sermon on what it means to be poor in spirit, where I'm getting insight on how I can have the attitude of dependence on God that I need to have even though God has blessed me with all these resources. Uh, anyway, I would love to hear that sermon myself.
0: Yeah, and I, I have a hunch that some of the answers are hidden in the, the back half of the Beatitudes. It probably looks a little bit like mercy and purity of heart, purity of intention, making peace. I don't know, maybe that's not true, but I wonder if there's a, if there's some even clues within the Beatitudes of what that poverty of spirit really is. Because it's, of course, real dangerous to just import into that what I think makes sense in my own head, sure. right? But then clues from the
1: passage. deductive, yeah.
0: Yeah. I think taking poverty of spirit as kind of a heading uh, for much of what is contained could be. Then you do get a nice three-point sermon, verses 7, 8, and 9, right? And exposit each of those. Hey, well, I had a blast with you today. This was so much fun. I always learn so much about the scriptures and always have a great time uh, talking with you, Ken. So thanks so much for taking the time.
1: Well, always enjoy it. Yeah,
0: thanks uh, to Todd and Eric for your production work. Can't imagine doing the show without you. Thanks to Tom for donating the theme music. And uh, thanks to all our supporters of the show. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash text and find ways to support the show there. And with that said, we say have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.